Please open with me in God's Word to Genesis chapter 18. We continue in this series on the life of Father Abraham in the book of Genesis. And as you're turning there, consider for a moment what would happen if you went into a store to buy something, and when you were looking around, you discovered that there were no prices on anything there in the store. How would you feel? What would you be thinking? Well, this is actually quite common around the world. I remember once being in Africa and going into a store. The expectation there was that you'd barter. You would begin by asking, well, how much do you want for this? And then they would give you some price. You'd, of course, be rather foolish to simply give them the money, so you would say how much you'd like to pay. And then, of course, you'd start to haggle back and forth, try and come up with a mutually agreeable amount of money to pay. I think many of us are thankful that we don't live in this kind of bartering system today in our country. We like having prices. We know how much things cost. But... Through so much of the world, bartering is the norm. And it's actually a very common practice even through history, including in the days in which Scripture was being written, in the day in which Abraham lived. So the question I want us to begin wrestling with this morning is what would happen if you tried to barter with God? Because believe it or not, this is actually what happens with Abraham. So let us read of this bartering this morning. Genesis 18, verses 16 through the end of the chapter in verse 33. Then the men rose from there and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. 
Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed now, I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than the fifty righteous. Would you destroy all the city for the lack of five? So he said, If I find there forty-five, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, Suppose there should be forty found there. So he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, indeed, now I've taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak but once more. Suppose ten should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. Now let us go again before our Lord in prayer. Father, we have gathered together after a long and weary week of life in this fallen and sinful world. And so we pray that you will refresh and nourish our souls this morning as your word is preached. Father, we ask that you take these words and empower them with your spirit so that we will not only hear from you but that you will be at work within us to renew our hearts and revive renew our minds and revive our hearts as those whose hope is found only and completely in Jesus Christ. So please, Father, keep from us whatever distractions may be around us. Remove from our minds whatever concerns or things that may keep us from staying focused on your word. And Father, Bless me as your messenger, that you will use me humbly as the one through whom you speak for the good of your people and for the salvation of sinners, so that you will be glorified and the name of Christ will be magnified. As we are praying these things, Father, in the name of our dear Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, what do we learn here this morning from Abraham's bartering with God? It's a mouthful. It's a mouthful, but I, I hope we keep this in mind throughout this message this morning. Listen. As Abraham interceded for the righteous to receive mercy, 
So we need an intercessor to save us from God's judgment. That's what this passage is revealing to us this morning. Listen again. As Abraham interceded for the righteous to receive mercy, so we need an intercessor to save us from God's judgment. And that's what we want to see coming out of these verses this morning. So let us begin by dividing these verses in half. Okay, The, the first half, verses 16 to 21, we see God's judgment revealed. God's judgment is revealed in verses 16 to 21. But then secondly, the second half, in verses 22 to 23... We also see God's mercy requested. God's mercy requested. So God's just or God's judgment revealed and God's mercy requested. Let's begin then with this first division of God's judgment revealed. Remember here in the midst of humanity who has been living in rebellion against God in sin. That God calls out of sinful humanity a man through whom he will bless the world with salvation from his judgment and wrath for our sin. And so when God then calls this man Abraham, he promises that Abraham will be the father of a chosen nation that will inherit a promised land through whom then the nations of the world will be blessed. Which is why God makes a covenant with Abraham. This covenant is a guaranteed commitment God makes to keep and fulfill his promises. Which is why we read of Abraham's great faith in God. Abraham believed in God and trusted in God's promises to him. So God makes promises in this covenant, but then God also places obligations upon Abraham in this covenant, which is why God commands Abraham and his descendants to keep a covenant sign of circumcision through which they will identify with God and be separate as his people. And it is through their keeping this covenant sign that they will then enjoy God's covenant promises by faith. Which is why then Abraham and his, the men in his household are then circumcised. You see, there's still a problem that we run into as the book of Genesis continues. Because after almost 25 years, God's promises to Abraham have not been fulfilled. They are living in the promised land. They must dwell in tents because it is not their home. And Sarah, his wife, remains barren and can no longer have children. Which means there's no natural way for Abraham to have any descendants to receive these promises. So it's in the midst of this situation, God once more appears to Abraham in what is called a theophany or a visible manifestation of God. 
And here God appears with two angels, all three of them appearing in human form as men. So as chapter 18 begins, we find God then sharing a covenant meal with Abraham to commune with him and to reveal to Abraham and his wife, Sarah, that they will supernaturally have a son. What they cannot do without God, they can only do through God and by God's power. Have a son within the next year. What then happens after Abraham receives God's covenant sign and shares in God's covenant meal? Well, these three divine, uh, these three divine visitors shift Abraham's focus to the peoples living around him. So they rise from this meal to leave and look toward the great city of Sodom. And we already know this is a wicked and sinful city. Right? Most of us are already familiar with what is coming in Sodom and Gomorrah. But even back in the book of Genesis, when Abraham's nephew Lot left Abraham to go out and dwell on his own, he headed east toward the city of Sodom. And there in Genesis 13, 13, we read, But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. So now God, with these two angels, look towards Sodom. And what happens? Abraham went with them. He walks with them as they go to the city. But don't miss that language, brothers and sisters. Back in Genesis chapter 5, verse 22 we read of another man who walked with God. Enoch walked with God for 300 years. And what happened to Enoch? Well, after 365 years, God took Enoch up to heaven so that he would commune with God. Then you move forward in Genesis. There's another man who walks with God. Noah. We read in Genesis 6, 9, Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. So Enoch walks with God, Noah walks with God, and now what do we see? Abraham too walks with God. Because God has come down to earth to commune with him. And as he does so, he begins speaking then to the men he is with, to these angels. And the Lord here calls Abraham to become a prophet. Because he will share with Abraham what he is about to do. He will not keep hidden the judgment that is to come against Sodom. As Amos 3.7 reminds us, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. And this is why then God says of Abraham in Genesis chapter 20, verse 7, For he is a prophet. 
But don't miss the reason why God reveals what he is about to do to Abraham. God goes on to speak of him and say that he is the one in covenant with Abraham. It is because of this covenant that God makes with Abraham that he calls him as a prophet and reveals to him the judgment to come. This is what is summarized in verses 18 and 19. So in these verses, we see both sides of the covenant, right? In verse 18, there are God's promised blessings. And then in verse 19, we turn to Abraham's obligations in the covenant, his required obedience. But right there in the middle, the beginning of verse 19, look at the closeness of this covenant relationship where God says, I have known him. Now, this is actually a literal translation of the Hebrew. Some of your translations may say, I have chosen him, but the word is literally known. Well, why is that important? Because in scripture, the word known is often used for the intimacy in marriage that produces children. So when God says, I have known him, he is speaking of the kind of intimacy that God has with Abraham, which is why scripture later records that Abraham is called the friend of God. Imagine being known as one who is the friend of God. Well, the same is actually true for all believers in God and in salvation in Jesus Christ. So turn with me briefly to John chapter 15, where we hear this from Jesus. And it's interesting to then read from Christ's own words this truth. So John 15 verses 13 to 15. Here Jesus is speaking to his disciples, those who are following him in faith. And we see there in verses 13 to 15, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. Why? For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. What is the difference between a servant and a friend? God makes known. What he will do. That's exactly what God does with his friend, Abraham. He reveals to him the judgment that is coming. God then says to Abraham that he will destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. You see, as God warned Noah in advance of his flood of judgment, so again God warns Abraham in advance of his coming judgment of destruction against Sodom and Gomorrah. 
So God here reveals Sodom's fate to Abraham as both a lesson and as a warning. So that Abraham will then teach his children. And they too will then pass on what it means to live righteously and justly before God. They are not to live like the peoples of Sodom and Gomorrah. But they are to live righteously and justly before God. So here God reveals this to Abraham, showing him that if he does not teach his descendants to walk in this way, then they too will suffer the same judgment as Sodom. It is then through God's destruction of Sodom that Abraham's descendants who become the nation of Israel will learn of God's greater judgment against sin. So that they will then keep the way of the Lord until God's promise of salvation comes. And as God speaks of this coming judgment, what does he say? There is an outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you remember earlier in Genesis chapter 4 what happens when Cain murders his brother Abel? God says to Cain, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And now once more, the voices of those who have suffered and been oppressed in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah are crying out to God from these cities. Their voices then have grown into a great chorus testifying against these cities for their grave, very grave sin. You see then that God's judgment is the right consequence of being punished for sin. His judgment is a consequence of their sinfulness because God is angry with the wicked. And their wickedness in sin is very great. But first, first, God wants to see whether these reports, this outcry that has come up to him is true. Now, again, we know God knows everything. But he wants Abraham and the rest of us to know that he is just. And he will not punish anyone for crimes without confirming first the charges that are against them. We also find how patient God is in his judgment. It's amazing how integrated Genesis is, isn't it? We're going back and forth throughout this book. But if, just a few chapters ago in Genesis 15, God tells Abraham that his descendants will first be enslaved in Egypt for 400 years before they are then set free to live in the promised land. And why will this take place? 
Because we read in Genesis 15, 16, In the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. The Amorites were a sinful people, but their sin had not become so great that it was time for God to judge them through His people coming into the promised land. It would take another four generations. And here again we find Sodom, who have lived for so long in sin, and yet finally, after all these years, their sin has become so great that God's judgment has come. Their iniquity is complete. This is why God will not judge them until he confirms their sin is so heinous that they have now passed the point of no return. See, sin can grow among us to the point where God's grace is no longer found. And God's judgment comes. So we read here in Genesis 18, him saying that he will go down now to see whether these things are true. And this is the same language that we read of when God brings judgment against Babel in uniting together against him in sin. We read in Genesis 11 verse 5, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sins of men had built. Once again, then, we see God coming down in judgment against sinful humanity. So then, what do we find in these verses? What we find is a contrast between Abraham and Sodom. Abraham walks with God as his friend, while Sodom's sin against God will bring judgment. What then is the difference between Abraham and Sodom? That Abraham has faith in God and trusts in God's promises, while those in Sodom have rejected God and live for themselves in sin. And the same difference continues in this world today. That we all deserve God's judgment for our sin. But God provides salvation to all who have faith in Him and trust in His promises. So this morning, hear God's warning of judgment. God is coming in judgment for our sins and for your sins. His judgment against sin has been revealed to us through the apostles and prophets. And listen, the judgments of this world are a confirmation of the final judgment to come for our sin. Your hope and my only hope is to repent of our sins and receive God and his promise of salvation through Jesus Christ. So confess your sins before God and come to Christ as the one who saves us 
from the judgment of God that we deserve for our sin. God's judgment is revealed. But then we come to the second part of these verses, the second half, the second division in verses 22 to 33, where our hope is further explained and further seen when God's mercy is requested. See, now these two angels go and head towards Sodom. Why? So that two witnesses will confirm the crimes of Sodom and Gomorrah, which is what God later requires in his law among his people. But the manifestation of God remains with Abraham allowing Abraham to express his concern for the coming destruction of these cities. This is what it means to intercede. Children, if I'm using this word intercede or intercessor, what does that mean? Well, to intercede simply means to plead on behalf of someone else who is in trouble or in danger. And here, Abraham looks out at Sodom and Gomorrah. And he pleads with God that mercy will come to these places. That the cities will be spared because of the severity of God's judgment. And his key concern there comes at the end of verse 23, when Abraham says, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? And this is where we get into him bargaining with God, right? Him bartering with God. Now, I admit that over the years, when I've read these verses, they frankly haven't meant, uh, made a lot of sense to me. I wonder, why does Abraham try to bargain with God here? Doesn't that seem rather presumptive prideful this whole back and forth just seems strange and leaves me confused have you ever read scripture and been confused i assume this is true for most of us just as a side suggestion as you're reading the bible have some kind of way to take notes by you whether some paper or maybe an app on your phone but as you're reading and you have questions because something doesn't make sense, write it down, record it. So you can come back to it and, and come to recognize answers and through additional study or, or questions that you can then ask somebody else to help you better understand what God has revealed. Because everything that God reveals is important, including these strange passages that we struggle to understand. And the same is true here when we come to Abraham's discussion and bartering with God. But let's take a moment to have a closer look here. We begin with Abraham's request. What's he saying? That since the righteous should not be destroyed with the wicked, it would not be just for God to destroy the cities with righteous people in them. The righteous should not face the same punishment as the wicked. So the cities should be spared. 
Notice how then Abraham appeals to the goodness and the righteousness and the justice of God. He recognizes that God is the judge of all the earth. And he is the one who will do right. And for him to judge these cities with righteous men would not be fair or just. So he pleads for these cities. He intercedes for these cities. And he begins by asking God, well, if there are 50 righteous people, will you spare the city? Of course, we all know God's response. Okay. If there are 50, I'll spare the city. And then Abraham goes down a little bit. Okay, well, what happens if there's only five less? Five less, 45. God says, fine. 45. I'll spare the city. 40. So you can get 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, and 10. You see, as Abraham continues speaking with God, he is praying for God's mercy to come to the righteous in these cities. He's asking God to uphold his justice by sparing their destruction for the sake of the righteous. But there's nothing prideful about this. Did you hear as the scripture was read how humble Abraham was? Look again at verse, especially verse 27. Abraham answered and said, Indeed, now I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Abraham recognizes he is but dust and ashes. He here goes back to the very creation of mankind in Genesis 2, verse 7, confessing he is but a creature from dust. He dares to speak to the very creator of all things. He's not pridefully then making these demands of God somehow, but he's humbly pleading with God on behalf of those who are living in Sodom. Here's the question that's helpful for us to wrestle with for a moment. Why does Abraham ha keep having to go down in his request? It's because Abraham is slowly coming to the realization of how truly sinful the people of Sodom and Gomorrah are. He first gives 50 because he thinks there are probably at least 50 righteous people in the city, right? So out of all the people of the city, surely at least 50 are righteous. Wait, God, no. What about 45? Surely at least 45. No, no. 40? 30? 20? I mean, 10 people? Remember, Abraham's nephew Lot and his family are in the city at this point. Surely 10. How easily we underestimate the sinfulness 
of this world and of the sin around us. Which is why God is patient and slowly here allows Abraham to recognize how wide and deep the spread of sin is among the people there. And so he does with us. God too reminds us that he will spare the righteous, but he will not spare the wicked. And how rare the righteous are. Not even ten. Not even ten could be found. So salvation from God's judgment requires us to stand righteous before God rather than remain in our sinfulness under his wrath. And God here warns Abraham this judgment will come because there are not those who are righteous to then spare them from judgment. Bruce Waltke then in his commentary writes, It is now established that the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, the paradigm for God's future judgments, is just. The Lord investigates the accusations thoroughly, ensures two objective witnesses, involves the faithful in his judgment, displays active compassion for the suffering, and prioritizes divine mercy over indignant wrath. So, brothers and sisters, do we share this compassionate heart of Abraham? Grieving over the coming destruction of God's judgment of our fellow men and women who remain in their sin. Are we praying to God, pleading for his mercy to be saved from his judgment? Or do we have a false confidence in those who are around us? That our friends and our family are not really this bad. Are not really this wicked. Are not really this evil. To deserve God's wrath. This is the sober reflection I've had to wrestle over as I was studying this passage and preparing to preach it this morning. How much our hearts need to grow with this kind of compassion for the people around us. Like Abraham, we too easily believe there are far more righteous than there really are. How great then is the need for God's mercy. But let's start with ourselves. What hope do we have to be saved from God's judgment? And here we come back to where I began. As Abraham interceded for the righteous to receive mercy, so we need an intercessor to save us from God's judgment. And listen, our intercessor came in the person of Jesus Christ when the one walking with Abraham announcing God's judgment 
became Abraham's descendant to save us from God's judgment. Isn't that beautiful? The very one who walked with Abraham, revealing God's judgment, is the one who became Abraham's descendant to then save us from God's judgment. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The God himself becomes man to live the righteous life we refuse to live in our sinfulness. And then to take the very judgment of God upon himself as God's very wrath is poured out upon the cross. And Jesus dies under the very curse that we deserve in our sin. It is only as we have faith then in God by turning away from our sins in repentance and by turning to Christ, believing in His work of salvation for us, that we have an intercessor who pleads for us before God and become the righteous ones who are spared from God's judgment. See, while we all deserve God's judgment for our sin, Jesus Christ fulfills God's promise of salvation. And so by believing in Jesus, we receive His righteousness as our own. So we will be spared God's judgment. And we then receive the mercy that our intercessor has pled for. Because he has provided our righteousness. And he intercedes for us before our good, righteous, and just God. Christ then is our great intercessor who pleads for our mercy before God the Father. This is why Hebrews 7.25 is such a precious verse for us. Brothers and sisters, listen to Hebrews 7.25, this great promise from God of Christ for His people. Therefore, He is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Our hope of salvation is found through not our own righteousness, but the righteousness received from our intercessor who pleads for God's mercy so that we will then be forgiven of our sins. And cleansed of our unrighteousness. This ministry of intercession then is revealed more fully to us in 1 John 2. So let's, let's turn to one final passage of scripture this morning. 1 John 2 verses 1 and 2. Where Christ our intercessor serves as our advocate before the Father. First John 2, 1 and 2. 
My little children, what words of kindness we receive. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have what? An advocate, an intercessor with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Christ is our intercessor. He is our advocate. He is the righteous one who himself propitiates, removes the wrath of God we deserve for our sins by taking our place. By willingly offering himself for us. Do you see then how as Abraham interceded for the righteous to receive mercy. So we too need an intercessor to save us from God's judgment. Listen, come to Christ who intercedes for sinners. So that you too will be righteous and saved from God's judgment. Because in Christ, we have no need to barter with God. Because Jesus willingly paid the price to save the righteous from God's judgment. Believe in Christ. Our intercessor who pleads for our mercy so that we will be forgiven of our sins to enjoy eternal life as friends of God, like our father Abraham. You can be a friend of God today, saved from his judgment. By sharing the faith of Abraham. Believing in God. And trusting in his salvation. Given to us. In Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father. What glorious truths you have revealed to us this morning. First, through the sobering words of revealing your judgment. But then in the precious words of requesting your mercy. Father, what great love it is that you gave your only Son To be our intercessor. So that we will be saved from your judgment. Through the righteousness of Christ. May we then live as those. Who not only know we have been spared your judgment. 
but who ourselves then out of compassion for those living around us will plead for their mercy in prayer and will proclaim the gospel of Christ so they too will be spared. We ask these things, Father, in the name of our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.